Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. We're going to hit the highlights in the book of Philippians. We started the first of the year. This is our 17th session in the book of Philippians. We hadn't hurried through anything. The Lord didn't interrupt us and have us teach on a little bit of the revelation of symbolic action. That is, those things that he requires in the natural that trigger a supernatural transaction. Holy Spirit, give your servant servant energy and utterance today. May you receive glory and honor and praise. In the name of the holy and mighty Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Well, uh, we're going to skip through here. I want you to follow along with me, whether you're on an iPad or you have a book like me, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul, who was imprisoned in Rome at this particular point. This was penned around 61 AD, around 10 years earlier. If you'll recall, Paul and his compatriots walked into the city of Philippi. The God of all wisdom and knowledge wanted to start a church. And so here's what he did. He led the apostle down by the riverside to a group of women having a prayer meeting. Would that be the way you would have done it? One of the ladies at the prayer meeting's name was Lydia. She was a businesswoman by trade, a seller of fabric. God had chosen her to be a pillar of the church. Shortly after, the Bible says there in the book of Acts that God opened Lydia's heart to believe. If you've been praying for somebody a long time that they would come to know Jesus, why don't you pray according to what God did for Lydia, that the Holy Spirit will open her heart and enable her to believe. Shortly thereafter, Paul and his compatriots were milling around in the city of Philippi and a demon-possessed teenage girl came up to them, trying to disrupt what was going on. And God spoke through the apostle Paul and he cast the demons out of this teenage girl. And she became another pillar of the church. Would that be the way you would have done it? Right after that, Paul was thrown in jail And when he and Silas were singing praises to the Lord at midnight, God sent an earthquake and broke all their shackles and opened the doors of the prison. And the Philippian jailer, fearing that he was about to be executed because all the prisoners he thought had escaped, Paul took him to his own home and led he and his entire family to Jesus in the middle of the night. 
So here we have the beginning of the church. We have a Jewish believing businesswoman, a formerly demon-possessed teenage girl, and a pagan Roman jailer who never knew anything about scriptures or the Word of God, and that's who God chose to form the church at Philippi 10 years before this letter. I say again, would that have been the way you did it? Isn't it a shame that even today, man is trying to form the church according to a man-made business plan instead of listening to and following the direction of the Lord of the church? Paul says he is introducing this book to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now the word bishops there, as we saw, is literally the Greek in episkopos. It means overseers. We have now for hundreds of years used the term bishop in our religious vernacular to talk about those who are overseers of overseers. And I don't have a problem with that. I was not only ordained as a pastor, but many years later ordained as a bishop. And it's different. I'm telling you, I can't explain it, but it is. But I will tell you this, that this term bishops has to do with elders, those who help oversee the spiritual atmosphere of the church and deacons. You say, well, pastor, you hadn't named any deacons of this church. That doesn't mean I'm not about it. I've got my eyes and ears open to that. And when the spirit tells me to, I will. Elders are appointed by the pastor. The word says it's not a popularity contest. Paul told Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, when he was traveling, he said, you appoint, appoint, appoint elders in every place. In other words, you appoint those that you want to assist you. But the Bible says, do not ever lay hands on any man suddenly. Don't anoint and appoint without an ongoing track record. I've got elders that I know in my heart, that I've got my eye on, that I'm going to appoint as I continue to look at their track record. I want you to know that uh, uh, elders in the church should be local. You ought to have some spiritually appointed people in the church who have been recognized by the shepherd of that flock, and it ought not to be done by somewhere 1,500 miles away. That was for somebody. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Think about that for just a minute. Here was the apostle who had visited with the Lord himself in the deserts of Arabia. Here was the spiritual father of the church and many other churches. What he's saying is, I pray for you at all times. The recording of these messages go out all over the world. I say to everybody listening to my voice, 
has the Lord identified in your life somebody who is a spiritual father to you? Is there somebody that the Lord has has revealed in your life who is a bishop, a spiritual overseer, who you know you may not even have day-to-day contact with, but is praying for you all the time. Why? Because they have a mandate from Father God. What a treasure. Praying for you. Night and day. Skip over to verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, what things happened to him? Well, he was put in prison, beaten, put into prison for preaching the gospel. He said these things have actually turned out for the further bene- furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace garden, to all the rest, that my chains, all this discomfort, this pain that I'm in are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Can I tell you something? Two things are going on when you are in these circumstances that seem like they're never going to end. They incarcerate you. They limit what you can do. They, they, they keep you up at night. They get you up in the morning. And look, God is at work to further the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through whatever circumstance you're going through. If you look there, and we won't go there right now, but in chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Your circumstances are not out of the view of your father, even if it feels like it. God is at work even in and through your present circumstances to bring about the furtherance of the gospel, which is why, as a believer, you're still here. But there's also something else going on. That is that God is not the initiator of anything evil. But God is the master conductor of everything that is into your life and out of your life. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that God himself, God himself is at work both not only to will and to do of his good pleasure, but he is causing all things. To work together. He is working them together for your good and his glory. Paul is saying there's something here that God is doing. No, in verse 19, he said, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, what I'm going through is a season, and it was. Do you know that after this, after this written in 61 AD, Paul had several more years of writing scripture under the the direction of the Holy Spirit and building up the churches. This was not the end. God has a new season for you. If you look at the final chapter of Philippians, you find out that this time of need and pain was coming to an end, and he said, all my needs are now met 
Not just as material and financial, but every one of them. God is not finished. There's a new season coming. Notice he says in verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through two things, your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Why do we spend so much time here in prayer? It's what moves heaven and earth. Paul is saying, I am the Holy, God has put the Holy Spirit in you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He guides, he comforts, he teaches, he encourages. The Holy Spirit is in you, but he also works through the vehicle of the prayer of others. You're going to get through this by the Holy Spirit's direction and encouragement and comfort, but also through the vehicle of those who are praying for you. Why would God say that other people who are weak and frail on this earth and their prayers are part of your deliverance? If you figure that out, let me know. My only guess is that he wants his children invested in what he's doing, partnering. In chapter 2, by the way, he says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. That is my earnest expectation and prayer. If I am to live, I'll bear fruit. If it's time for me to go, that is more of what I would like, Paul is saying. I prefer that. But then he says, I'm convinced, verse 25, that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. How many of you know that one reason why you're still here and why God won't let you out of this deep cauldron of pressure one of the main reasons you're still here is so that you are somebody that God has entrusted through prayer and ministry and encouragement to help, help others progress in their faith. Chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, he was, he, he was the second person of the Holy Trinity. He didn't have a beginning. He is eternal. But he didn't consider it robbery to be in the form of God. He didn't have to steal that from the Father. He already was equal to the Father. But he made himself, made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And that's the reason, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Wow. Isn't it true that most of us want recognition for who we are, for the good things we've done? Isn't it true? Notice that Jesus was equal to God Almighty, the Father. 
But when he came to earth, he was not seeking reputation. He was seeking to serve. He even said, the greatest among you shall be the one who is your servant. I ask you a question today that I've asked myself this week. Lord, do I desire a reputation for myself that keeps me from being highly exalted by my Father? I want to speak to all of those, and I have those who listen on tape and those who sit under physically my teaching, all of those 13 ministries under our covering. If you and I would just seek the attitude of Jesus, if we would be about not trying to build our own reputation, but about humbling ourselves and becoming a servant and recognizing that that is the highest calling there is, God will exalt you in your ministry. If we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. If we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. We look around the church today and we see all these titles and all these traditions that promote and set God's servants in a place that most of us can't aspire to. I'm not judging, but sometimes I think that Jesus must say what he said to the Pharisees. You're always going around looking for the recognition of men. You always want the chief seats in everywhere you go. You always want everybody to talk about what and use your title. And he said, the greatest among you shall be the one who's willing to serve. May God give me a greater revelation and all of those who listen to me a greater revelation of that. Your highest honor is to be a servant. Chapter 3, we look at verse 12 and we see that Paul is saying, you know, at this point in my life, I haven't really attained much of anything. I'm not perfected. I am pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And why why did Christ Jesus lay hold of us? so that we might be transformed into his image and likeness. Verse 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. You know what that means? I relentlessly pursue the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, some think that that only means heaven, and it certainly means that. 
But how many of you know that the upward call of God, he'd just been talking about in the previous chapter, of a place of being promoted by the Father. So it is not only heavenly, it's also earthly. And that is the upward call of God is that God can trust you with more revelation. So that God can trust you with greater resources. So that God can trust you, here's the bottom line, with greater influence. That's the upward call. Wow. We talked about in chapter four, the power that breaks anxiety. We talked about how you're supposed to refuse, verse 6, anxiety. Declare that it is off limits to you. Be anxious for nothing. But to commit everything by prayer and supplication with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then let your requests be made known to God. You say, well, I'm afraid that I'm going to ask God for something. Well, look, if you're refusing anxiety, if you are committing every issue, final results over to the Lord in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you are supposed to be letting your request be made known to God. Sometimes some people think that God is, for whatever reason, in neutral. Well, are you in neutral? Are you just one of those, well, whatever, Whatever, whatever is not a good way to pray. Let your requests be made known to God. Listen, God is inviting you and encouraging you and actually commanding you to do it through his scripture. One thing I know, the more I ask for what I want, the more my desires are subject to change by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The more I ask for what I want, the more my desires are listening to the inner voice of the Holy Spirit so that I pray more and more in line. But I have to start somewhere by asking for what I want. Can I ask you something? Is your water broken? No, I'm serious as I can be. You need to get you some water in there. God, this is what I'd like to see happen. Wow. You know what? We just got a family here, and if you don't have never had any children or grandchildren that make any noise in your house, if you have, you don't pay attention to that, right? I want you to know that this little guy that I baptized and uh, dedicated, I should say, not long ago, he is going with me all over the world. Our tapes are going into foreign countries these days and all over the United States. And you, did you know he was there? 
you'll, 20 years from now, if I'm with the Jesus, you tell him, we heard you then. And you know what? It is absolutely great. We're not trying to build a reputation for ourselves. It's wonderful. You keep those babies in here unless you have to take them out. Pastor Steve is probably not going to tell you to take them out. So you just be led by the Spirit. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Chapter 4, at the end, he talks about the power of mutual investment. He talks about how that the Philippian church gave to his needs. Can you imagine that an apostle had needs? Can you believe that? Do you know that most of Christendom today don't understand that God's servants and God's ministries have financial and material needs? They don't get it. Everybody here in the business world knows they get it. Paul had needs. And he said, you invested him. Did you know that we have to rent this room? That we have to rent those offices to have the opportunity to rent this room? Did you know that every time there is on the screen the words to a song, we have to pay for the legal rights to be used on the screen for the songs you sing. Do you know that every supply of everything has a cost to it? Did you know that your bishop, your pastor, wakes up every morning and there is no financial manna on my yard? I've looked for over 50 years and it ain't there yet. Did you know that God is not into entitlement? That he doesn't want any of us to say, I'll let somebody else take care of that. You say, you never talked to us about this. Well, it's been 23 years and I need to. Get involved. You say, are you doing a fundraiser? Absolutely not. I am telling you the opportunity here. We said it earlier. Paul says, look, I can do all things through Christ. I'm not talking to you out of need. Notice what he says there. You've done well, verse 14, to share in my distress. You've invested in me when I was in distress something that I needed. No other church. It's still remarkable to me. No other church shared with the concerning giving and receiving but you alone. No other church. One of the things that we do is we invest in ministries like this and this and this and this. And where else are you? Do you know what? Because every one of these people live every day like I, Dean and I have lived for 23 years. 
And like everybody in here who is in a godly business, you live this way, whether you feel like it or not. You wake up every morning totally dependent on God. If he don't come through, you don't come through. Amen? It's just the way it is. Some people think that people that run ministries or run businesses are always the first to get paid. No, they're the last. Amen? Last. Some of you are squirming, but I'm not quitting. All of these people that I just named and more live every day by faith. And when no church, when no church participates and invest in them, they are, they feel it. They are imprisoned. They are restricted. Look, all money is is a tool. But every person ought to have the right tools to do what God has assigned them to do. That's all it is. Notice what he says there that they having invested in him. Notice what he says there in verse 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Don't take that out of context. It, has to, it is in the context of investing in the needs of those who are ministering to you. Without investment, there's no return. But I want to tell you there's something sure and steadfast in God Almighty. Proverbs 3 says, you bring the first fruit of all your increase. Bring that to the Lord. Bring the first fruit of all your increase, and your barns will be filled with plenty. Can I ask you something? In that culture, did you eat out of the barn that day, or did you eat off the table? Your barns have to do with your investments. Surplus. And your vats will overflow with new wine. New wine was that, and I know that makes some of you nervous, but though that new wine was what not only what they consumed, but what they could barter and trade and deal with. It is not only that which is stored, but that which is income. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your inheritance, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. What did Jesus say? John 6, 30, uh, Luke 6, 38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together shall all men pour into your bosom. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? That there might be there that there might be supply for those who are ministering to you. That's where we worship. That's where the priests and Levites taught you the word, where they prayed over you, where they discipled and encouraged you. That is where there was sacrifice and prayer being done over you. Bring all the tithes there and see if I will not pour you out a blessing till it overflows. The word says the tithe is holy. He belongs to the Lord. You say, Pastor, that's Old Testament. And as I told you two weeks ago, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, our priest and king. And today, although Melchizedek received the offerings of Abraham long before the law was put into shape, 
the father of your faith tithed long before there was any law of Moses put in there. Your high priest today, the Lord Jesus, who is interceding for you, encouraging you by his spirit, your high priest today, the Bible says, receives tithes. You may invest that somewhere that doesn't have God's name on it, but let me tell you, it has the attention of Jesus. He is your high priest. Hebrews 7 and 8 will confirm it for you. Why am I telling you all this? I want you to enter in by faith and obedience to the opportunity God is giving you to enter in to his economy. His economy doesn't fail based on what parliament legislature does or don't do. You will reap what you sow later than you sow and more than you sow. Amen. Well, I thank you. I don't ever talk about things like that. And I should. I got to teach you the word. You just do what the Spirit of God tells you to do, and it'll be all right. Well, let's all stand. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.